0: Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by McCurdy Trained. What makes McCurdy Trained special isn't the workouts or the results. It's the relationships that they are willing to develop with their athletes over time and though those relationships are where it's at, you will also see plenty of growth in your running. Being a good coach isn't about a killer workout or fad. It's about adapting and adjusting, being willing to listen and understand, and coaching is an art, and McCurdy Trained has some of the best artists in the world at the ready. 2019 is just upon us, and McCurdy Trained caps how many athletes they will work with. If you're interested in signing up, send an inquiry their way. It's at mccurdytrained.com that's www.mccurdytrained.com and they will get back to you immediately also thank you to megaton coffee the official fuel of the rambling runner podcast it's twice as uh, caffeinated as a normal cup of coffee but also really really good i can't recommend this coffee highly enough i love drinking it and the people that i've sent it to they get the the gifts that I send to all the people who come on the show with a little bag of Megaton Coffee, they've all enjoyed it as well. So give them a shot megatoncoffee.com. And if you use code RAMBLING20, you will save 20%. That ends at Christmas. So use it quick. Please do. So this episode is with Haley Sutter. Haley just had a remarkable experience at the California International Marathon. Her finish was, I mean... For, for lack of better words, just iconic. It was really something to behold. Very emotional as well. She finished with the chip time of exactly 2 hours and 45 minutes and zero zero seconds. Her gun time was two forty five oh seven, And at the finish, she fell just before the line and had the presence of mind to crawl across just in time to get that chip time um, that she was looking for to qualify for the Olympic trials uh, qualifying. Now, the official word on whether or not it will be accepted will come later this month, as you'll hear in this episode. But it, it's, it's it's a very emotional video, um, has the full range of emotions, just the strength, the perseverance that she has, the the initial heartbreak of seeing her go down. It's all there. And this is a woman who is just not only a remarkable runner, but as you'll hear in this episode, is able to express her journey very eloquently uh far more eloquently than uh than the host does <laughs> that's for sure uh she does a great job and i can't recommend this strongly enough so without further ado here's my conversation with haley sutter hello haley and welcome to the rambling runner podcast thanks matt i'm so excited to have you on first of all congratulations last weekend uh, actually i should say not last weekend a week and a half ago now you are at the california international marathon You and a number of other people had huge races. So, first of all, congratulations for your performance out at CIM.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: So, I'm assuming as you were going into that race, even in your best of circumstances, like you had the race of your life, even in that circumstance, you probably wouldn't have expected to get the kind of media attention that you've now received post-race.
1: Yes. uh, That is probably almost an understatement. I definitely did not. uh, I thought... Perhaps my family and friends, and maybe one or two other people, would take notice. Um, not the entire running community.
0: The entire running community. That sounds hyperbolic, but I think it's true because I had a shocking amount of people. Shocking, not because I was surprised, but just the just the the volume of people. That reached out to me that said, please have Haley Sutter on your <laughs> podcast. Please, please do it. And I mean, certainly I didn't need to have, you know, I didn't need to be pushed into it. I, I was 100% in, but it really was remarkable. Actually, my last guest was Crystal Harris, yep, who finished one spot ahead of you at CIM in this absolutely iconic finishing <laughs> moment. Um, I say iconic because it, it's very, it's very emotional. a full wide range of emotions to watch you and crystal crossing the finish line um especially for two people finishing that weren't you know potentially winning the race Mm -hmm. like i can't remember the last time i recalled a finish that didn't involve winning that was so memorable yeah that's for sure so i can't wait to talk about it and to dive into it but this podcast isn't simply about the finish of the California international Marathon. it's about you just holistically as a person as a runner, and I guess before we get there, let's just set the stage. I, you know you cross the finish line, chip time at the California International Marathon at two hours and forty five minutes on the dot, correct?
1: Yes, yes zero zero
0: so but gun time it was 254.07? Uh, two fifty four oh seven
1: At drive. 245-07. I'm sorry,
0: 245.07. Okay. Yep. So obviously the reason that's important, and we talked about this in Crystal Harris's podcast as well, is that 245.00 is, um, is the marker for the Olympic trials qualifiers mm-hmm. to get in or not get in. And I know you've talked about this in other forums, but what has been um, relayed to you about the gun time versus chip time in terms of getting the OTQ?
1: Yeah, so uh, after the race, I was actually really lucky and fortunate that a couple people reached out to me and and to my coach about submitting a petition. Because in rare circumstances, USATF will accept a chip time in lieu of a gun time for people who are in my circumstances who are incredibly close to getting that time. Um, but, you know, missed it because they weren't on the exact start line. So uh, I actually had people reach out to USATF on my behalf that CC'd me on their emails, uh, which, to which USATF has responded saying that they would hopefully make a decision or they're planning on making a decision by the end of the month if I'll be accepted or not, which I, there is some precedent. So I am hopeful that it will be accepted at last year's CIM Marathon two women this is all of my boyfriend's research that i haven't checked myself but I, I seem to trust him but perhaps his love is overwhelming and he's jaded um but he it can, it
0: can, they can both be true he <laughs> can, can be right yeah. and have overwhelming love
1: i think that i'm that's what i'm thinking um that there were two women who were in similar circumstances to me that had ran um 245 02 and 04 i think by gun time but were under it by chip time and usatf um in turn accepted their 2.45 as the Olympic trial standard. So um, it seems as though there's precedent. You know, there's a difference between two, four, and seven seconds. So, um, you know, seven seconds might be crossing a line that four doesn't. But, you know, there's hope. And I'm optimistic that I'll get a good Christmas present from USATF.
0: Here, here. All right. So when were you aware or made aware of the chip time and gun times after you crossed the line?
1: Yeah. So I immediately after was not sure um when there's uh these horrible pictures of me with the medical staff and i just look as i should have looked um but i was muttering to the the woman and i was like i hope they accept chip time and I was like asking her and this was some volunteer that you know she was a medic not a runner and she was like I, I don't know what you're talking about um and we got I got a bunch of text messages from friends they're like oh my god you did it you did it um and then so I was at, initially I was thinking oh my gosh like it's chip time because I was getting all these messages of congratulations you did it you got your OTQ and then I got a call from my coach and she um, or I called my coach and she's like and I was asking her I was like is it chip time or is it gum time and she's like, "I don't know." Um, we'll look into this and so then she gets a phone call from um, another athlete who says it's gun time this is what you need to do here's what uh here's what you need to do so I was at brunch after the race not eating anything just on my phone the whole time communicating with my coach and with this other runner who had reached out to us um who's actually um some of the people listeners of this podcast might be familiar with Mike Morgan he's a professional runner for Brooks he reached out to me he went to my alma mater um, so it wasn't until I was at brunch that I realized, oh, it's gun time. this is not the fairy tale that you thought it might be.
0: Well, I don't know what is the the bigger shocking like achievement you running a two forty five which is, a, is, is an astonishingly fast marathon, or postponing brunch after a marathon <laughs> I think I don't know which one is more remarkable. I know how hungry I am, even when I'm not you know, famished from any huge endurance and aerobic effort. The fact that you were able to set breakfast aside, I think is, a, you know, that should be a, a podcast in its own right.
1: I know. I know. Perhaps I should have included that in my petition. Not only did I crawl across the finish line, but I, I, uh, I postponed my, my brunch to, uh, to take care exactly. of it. Exactly. So maybe they'll consider that
0: chronicles, chronicles and mental toughness <laughs> yeah. by Haley Sutter.
1: Yeah.
0: So, all right. So, going backwards, if you don't mind. Um, So you mentioned, you you, you, your alma mater, which was Nebraska Wesleyan or is Nebraska Wesleyan. Mm -hmm. When, when did you get involved in running um, seriously?
1: Yeah. So I would say I got involved seriously in high school. I had, um, it's kind of a like series of events that led me to be a runner but the serious running part I'd say my first year that I did cross country in high school and just really fell in love with it I I initially ran track to say to stay in shape for softball and then I ran cross country to stay in shape for track and then in running that first year of cross country my sophomore year of high school is when it really just like all came together just being in nature and being a part of a team and really seeing like the joy and progression that I could have in running.
0: So you were a team sport person and not that running isn't a team sport, but it's a team sport in a very different manner. Um, What was the difference for you right away in terms of seeing progress in a a softball capacity versus a running capacity?
1: Yeah. Well, first off, I was terrible at softball. I was on the reserve team. (laughs) I I went to a a high school that didn't, cut people so there's varsity junior varsity and then reserve which is pretty much the if we could we would cut you but we can't so here's a team for you to play on um, so i was a little uh overzealous about my skills as a softball player um that's an inspiring <laughs> motto that
0: should be on like on the t-shirts
1: yeah overzealous get you far um so And then running track was pretty fun because it was, you know, going. it's a different type of team sport where it's both individual and team. So I think I kind of like that, that I could be autonomous, but then also have a team to respond to because, you know, softball, basketball, all of those, it's, it's really all about the team. And there's, there are obviously individual aspects. I think LeBron James is a highlight of that, that team sports are also individual. Um, But it was just fun to have like this like interplay between autonomy and team and um, having a group of like, girls and guys that are there supporting each other and uh it was just cool and i think being cross country was special because it's all about being in nature and that's what i think i have learned to love the most about running is not i don't i've never i like the farthest i've ever ran on a treadmill was like six miles like twice maybe like every other run has been in blizzard sunshine rain like exploring and enjoying the outdoors
0: i'll tell you what you know like that that's that's like you know warms my heart That you don't run on a treadmill. Because I'm one of those people who can't. You know, some people run faster on treadmills than they do outside. I'm on the other end of the spectrum where, like, I'll put it at, like, 10-minute mile pace on a treadmill and be like, why does this seem so hard? Oh, I know. I
1: don't understand it. I know. I'm currently rereading Harry Potter. This is, like, what I'm doing with, like, my time away from running as I, like, recover. Oh, my goodness. Yes.
0: uh, What book are you on? uh,
1: Book four. I'm in the middle. So, The Goblet of Fire.
0: Of course. Yeah, it's great.
1: But the treadmill, to me, is, like, a Dementor. Like, it sucks all the joy and happiness out of your soul. Like like this that's my feeling of a treadmill.
0: That that is perfect. That's perfect. I swear to god I swear to God, that's like as someone who's a Harry Potter fan and anti treadmill, I'm jealous right now that I have that I wasn't be able to put that <laughs> I wasn't able to put that together on my own right. All right. So when did you start seeing success as a runner and what did that success actually look like?
1: Yeah, so I had um I had some success in high school I was always even like through high school and college I was always very good mid season and then not so much when it mattered like toward the end like um I was in college I think I was like a five-time conference runner-up Um so I was like good at that but then never made it uh, well I made it to nationals as a team on a team twice in college but I didn't never make it to track nationals at all so I was always like very strong mid-season and then kind of like fell off a little bit afterward. But then post collegiate, I took um five months of pretty much not running at all. Like I might have ran three to five miles a few times a week when I felt like it. And then at that point is when I joined the racing team that I currently um and forever hopefully will run for. And that was really kind of what changed um like changed my mentality too. And I think once I got to the longer road races, uh and college I ran the five K and the ten K and had you know, the longer I ran the more success I had. Um, and so then post-collegiately joining a team and just like having an idea of like people to run for, it's like no longer just about you, uh, was really helpful. And then starting to run half marathons, I didn't run a marathon until I was 27. So that was much later in life, but running longer road races is really when I started to see like actual success and, um, accolades.
0: Yeah, I guess it's all relative, right? Because I mean, your, co- your college success, as you mentioned, your five time conference runner up, which by definition is quite successful and at the same time it's relative right because it's not as if you were at Oregon yeah, or Stanford III. right exactly
1: yeah
0: right so like I was a division three basketball player I know exactly what you mean like there are these relative levels of success so when you were achieving you were in college and from your conference standards you were very successful did you have a greater vision of what was possible, or in those moments did you feel fulfilled with how you were achieving?
1: Um, I think I always had greater ideas. I was very fortunate. My my coach, who coached me in college and continues to coach me today, um, is fantastic, and I couldn't think speak highly enough of her. But she is someone who, you know, her best running years were when she was in her. Um, early 30s, and, and she still runs. Uh, she would run with us when she was in um, when she was coaching us, and so she really set an example of not just being uh, a competitive, but being a competitive lifelong runner. And that was something that I was fortunate of Nebraska Wesleyan is that they really tried to focus on like the runner as a, over a whole life of running, and not just those four years that they have you. They're not trying to beat you up and get you know seep everything that they can out of you. It was really about Um, building lifetime success. So I think I always kind of had greater trajectories, whether I innately realized it or subconsciously realized it. Um, But I think that Anne really set a foundation for running beyond college.
0: Now, what does that, that's, first of all, that philosophy is, is obviously fantastic, but it's a hard, it can be hard for a coach to think long-term about their athletes instead of short-term for the season, not necessarily because they may be selfish. It's like, if you want, you know, the whole team to achieve sometimes it means pushing certain runners more than others in order to accomplish that so it can be a a tough needle to thread for a lot of coaches so the ideals that you just mentioned that Anne tried to foster and cultivate within the group how did that what did that mean from a practicality standpoint like how did she actually put those into practice when trying to mentor you during your time there
1: Yeah, so one thing that they always, like, we'd have meetings every Monday, and one thing that they always, our coaches always instilled on us was that, you know, we were student-athletes. We were students first, we were athletes second, and um, I think one thing they were really proud of is we always had a high number of scholar-athletes. Westland is really, uh, really cool. If you look at the, so this is, like, the whole college in itself, if you look at the top 10 All-Americans, regardless of division, Nebraska-Westland, little, little Nebraska-Westland of 1,600 people is seventh on that list, so when you take Every single Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three school, and look at how many All Americans, academic, oh yeah, um, athletic All Americans they've had. Nebraska Western is seventh, so this is like a whole school philosophy. Um, so, and another thing that they um, did that was really cool is they never stopped it. So I actually took a whole year off from running. I studied abroad, and then I took an internship, and that was never, you know, it was never a talk about oh, you know, your running is going to suffer. You, there might not be a spot on, for you on the team when you get back. It was like, what a fantastic idea. We're so glad you're doing this. So um, they, I think through them giving us autonomy and like letting us realize that running wasn't like, like running is, you know, a huge part of my life, um, but it's not the only part of my life. And like them giving us the the strength to go and like fulfill our other desires, I think is something that really set us up to have like a very healthy balance that allowed me to not get super burned out. I was admittedly, burned out my my senior year of track um but not so much that I never put on running shoes again
0: yeah yeah you you have so you had that break that five six month break before getting into the the racing scene so what was the decision like for you to join a um join a team and then just what what is that team experience like kind of like that. Not sub elite, but it's you know it's not like the Oregon project, mm-hmm. but it's like that that next tier down where you have these teams that have have popped up all over the country. we have some here in the Providence area, Boston area, all over and w- what is that experience like in terms of um, running with people while having these higher level goals um, but still not being like a professional runner in like the purest sense of the word?
1: Yeah, yeah, so mine is a little unique, so I ran. Um, I started with my group um, quite a ways back. They're based out of Lincoln, Nebraska. It's the Lincoln um, LRC Racing. We're sponsored by the Lincoln Running Company back in Nebraska. Uh, So I ran with them for three years, and then I moved to Boston to uh, pursue a master's degree. So I actually was grand. – I'm very lucky. I was grandfathered in per USATF rules, so I can still compete. Even though I don't live in Nebraska, I still compete. Um, and represent LRC racing at different championship races. um, This year we ran the Shamrock Shuffle in Chicago. So I jokingly refer to myself as the Eastern Division of LRC racing, um, being here in Boston and not being away. So I don't actually train with my teammates. I run with them a couple races a year. um, And, like, you know, I wear my jersey at most all races that I do. So I'm a little bit of a unique case because most people who are on racing teams are, you know, geographically very close to the like home their home base of their team. I am not. Um but it was really nice. It just gave I started it was me and a really, really good friend joined at the same time and it was kinda like, all right, if you're gonna join, I'll join. We'll do this together. Um and now we're like both seeing a bit of success from it. So it's just something I think it's nice that you have this like group of people that you can reach out to and we support each other and um it's fun to go to races and see them and it's something that i have a lot of pride in wearing the uniform even being in boston and like no one has heard of the lincoln running company or lrc racing in boston um but it's kind of fun to show up and i you know wear my jerseys to almost every race that i go to and it's just like it's fun and it's motivating to to wear something and support a, a team and a, a group that i really like just have very positive feelings for it's, you know, races can be stressful so it's nice to have one aspect of it my Jersey that um, kind of takes away some of that stress
0: and what about that community feeling has been um, has been so booing for you it seems like it has it's like a common thread even when you first started running
1: yeah um, well I think it's nice so a lot of the the team that I run for was started by a, a group of guys that graduated a couple years ahead of me at Westland. Um, so a lot of the people that I knew, but I think it's just, not, I think running in general, it's important to have a community, whether you're, you know, the elites who are winning CIM, the you know men and women trying for the OTQ, or the people who are just trying to, to finish the race, that having a community, having people who understand you and support you, running can be a very isolating sport if you let it be you're out on the roads by yourself if you're you know you're in a race in your own in your own head you're not you know feeding off of the other runners it can become this like you know you're in a crowded room full of strangers and if you don't reach out to someone that can feel very isolating but if you have this group in this community of people who believe in you and care about what you're doing and reach out to you then instead you're just you continually build yourself and each other up and like can start believing in yourself in ways that you didn't because someone else believed in you. So I think it's a way to, to like the running community to not only like form relationships with other people, but relationships with yourself that you like may not have realized you could.
0: Yeah. And because runners just by definition with what we do, it's so easy to get stuck in our own heads Mm -hmm. and by focusing on other people, it really can be liberating and help bring us to the next level. Like, it's one thing to say that and be like, okay, I'm going to think about my mom. Well, Sometimes you can do that, but that's a little too far field in terms of like connecting it to what you're currently doing. Unless, of course, your mom is a really good runner. <laughs> um, so, But, you know, to think about like a teammate, you know, whether it's in a race or in a session, you know, so just getting your mind off of yourself can oftentimes, you know, be either uplifting or take the pain away or just allow you. To you know, just have a different perspective on what's currently going on, either mid-run or just in on running in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, after you got settled with LRC, when did you start setting some post-college running goals, and what were some of those goals? Yeah.
1: So my first was just to uh, run a half marathon, um, and to like a bit of success the first one. So, and um, after that first. Half marathon. I ran. My brother and his wife convinced me to run the uh, the Kansas City marathon or the half marathon, which they had done um, in years past. So I went and ran that, and like exceeded exceeded all expectations. I like I have no idea how I did it, but I ended up winning, and it was my first like really big breakthrough race. It was my first time winning anything of significance, um, which was really cool. And so continued for a couple years running, just half marathons, ten ks to like varying levels of success and then I started kind of having these thoughts that I wanted to run a marathon but I always I thought that I wouldn't run until I was at least 27 I thought that at that point I would be like mentally and emotionally and physically ready and mature enough to run because I you know I think that a marathon is something that it takes not just like running commitment and strength but like the whole like mental aspect and emotional aspect of it can be like draining if you're not ready so I started thinking about marathons and I Um, that's when my coach and I like we we had worked together but this is when like we became like really hand in hand Um, when I was training for my first marathon which was Houston in 2017 and after Houston that's kind of when I was you know Houston went I think that my debut marathon is still my like one true perfect marathon everything went well I negative split I felt great Um, and from that I think that's really what bore my Really desire to start chasing after the OTQ. I ran a two fifty two mid my first marathon, so being you know just seven minutes away after my debut was like okay, like you know I definitely think I can do that. So that was what's then set the foundation for this ultimate goal of chasing the OTQ.
0: Right, and then it's I'm reading some of the articles you've done recently. Um, it sounded like you thought this might come to fruition at Grandma's.
1: Um. Yeah. So grandma's was the first that I was really going after that I like trained really hard for the OTQ. Um, And I actually think I still think that at grandma's I was in better shape than I was at CIM. But I just was flooded by doubt the like little bit the few days before. Um, And I think honestly that I just crippled myself in that regard. And I wasn't confident in my own strategy. And um, so yeah, so grandma's was the first time that I went after it. And I didn't it, it did not go well it was uh it went okay actually I shouldn't say you know it's all relative like you said um I ran I came through the half in uh 122 30, 8 or 40 something like that so just needed to like
0: so right on it you were yep. right on yes
1: like right on and then just totally fell off um I ended up finishing in 252 like almost 253 so felt you know fell off quite a bit that last half um, and, and I, you know, there was different issues with it. So I didn't have a good pacing strategy. I went out with like a group of, it was, fa- you know, fantastic for most people went out with like the, the group of women chasing the OTQ, but the pacing was just like a little bit too sporadic for me. i I feel, I like a little bit more consistency, just like hitting a pace and being a metronome. Um, whereas this was like kind of more surging and falling back and, um. just really threw my legs off. And, and like I said, at the beginning, my confidence was just like, I just had none. I don't know, this like, doesn't happen to me very often at all. So that was just confidence was like a huge issue with that.
0: So you just mentioned that your buildup to grandma's might have been even better than your buildup to CIM. So were, how confident were you in the moment during that buildup? Prior, prior to, like, the week before when all of a sudden you started having these negative thoughts.
1: Yeah, so, like, pretty good. I was doing a lot of – my coaching, like, restructured, so I was doing a lot of very long marathon-specific tempos. And, like, I had some that kind of, like, mentally broke me, but was, like, feeling pretty good. I had a, a really good half marathon that I ran. I ran – I broke 120 for the first time. I actually um, skipped the 120s altogether. I went from 121 to 119 for my half marathon PR – um which, you know, was feeling great about that and was progressing. So I was actually feeling pretty good um about my training and I was doing like a lot more hard sessions and than I had been in the past and like was feeling, you know, quite fit.
0: So I'd love to dive into what you think the genesis of your kind of negative spiral that started like maybe a week before the race. What 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 exactly was going on, and why do you think it started?
1: Yeah, so I was just—I don't—I don't know why it started, but I was just really focused on the things that I didn't do. So I didn't cross train very well, and I've had—I've kind of been plagued by injuries, um, and so I didn't really go to the PT, which I or the chiropractor really do anything for that, which I knew I should. So for some reason, I was just really focused on like all of this. You know, I didn't cross train, I didn't strength train, I didn't really do very many abs. Um, Instead of, so instead of focusing on like these fantastic races and workouts that I had, my mind was like on, you know, what I should have done, what I could have done more to be better prepared.
0: So it was like the the taper crazy, like times a hundred. So how did that affect you on race day? I think we've all been there in races where we're nervous, we're questioning. And then once the gun goes off, it all fades away and you're just kind of in the moment in the race. So how did those negative emotions and feelings affect you during the race? You know, when did they pop up? What exactly happened? So on and so forth. Yeah.
1: So I think they popped up. um, Like one of the things probably the most is that I just didn't trust my own strength. And so I decided right away that I was just going to get with the, you know, the group of women who were chasing the OTQ and I was just going to stick with them. Like just like completely, you know, Um, blindly. If they go, I go. If they slow, I slow. They get water. Well, I get water all the time. I drink a lot of water when I uh, when i run um but so just kind of like blindly leading them without thinking of like my own racing capabilities and my own racing strategies and what's worked for me in the past um so that i think you know before it even before the race even started before the gun goes off usually i'm like a little nervous before the gun goes off but as soon as it goes off like i just fall right into pace and i know what to do but um this time it was just like okay just you know follow these girls and um just do what they do. They'll do the work for you. And instead I just kind of let myself get caught up and didn't focus on what I should actually be doing.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And at the same time, it's not as if they were running a pace that you were incapable of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when things started going wrong for you, first of all, when did that start to start to occur from like say losing pace perspective And what were, what was the, the mentality or with like the, the internal thoughts that was going, that were going through your mind? Yeah.
1: So I think I fell off the group at like mile 11 um, and I was a little behind them, maybe like 30 seconds at 30 or 40 seconds at halfway behind them. Uh, And so I I stayed pretty, like pretty confident, I guess, for all things considered. Um, I remember going through the half and saying, like, okay, you just have to negative split it by a little bit. Like, you can still do this. And then um, by, like, mile 14 or 15, like, not there, far after was when it was, like, all right, you're, it's, like, you're not really getting faster like you need to. Like, this might, this probably isn't going to happen. And then at, like, mile 17, 18, 19, 20 is when it was, like, all right, like, this isn't, this isn't going to happen. And um, I remember actually cried during the race, like, a little bit. It's very hard to run and cry at the same time.
0: <laughs> i've been there i have cried during a marathon it's i know hard. exactly what you mean
1: like, running and crying is like like that's the hardest thing you can do to run like yeah that's hard um so i remember i cried and then i saw my my uh boyfriend and my dad toward the finish and like seeing them like brought up the emotions again so i started crying and um, my boyfriend who i mentioned earlier is very loving and very supporting um, but also loves to make fun of me. And afterward, he was like, yeah, it was really pathetic to see you crying during the marathon. Um, which it was. It was. I totally was. Um, but so I think like 17, 18 is really when it like hit me like, oh, this is all going to fall apart.
0: Right. And I, But you stuck with it. I mean, you still finished the race. Yeah. You still ran. You know, obviously it wasn't what you had trained for. Mm. But you still ran at 252, 253 which by any measure is a strong marathon. Yeah. So, so what did you learn mentally about yourself and about the marathon in that race that you were able to take into future races?
1: Yeah. So just like trusting myself and being confident and staying positive that like, you know I said before it's not usually something that was hard for me like I was usually a pretty positive person going into things but like this just really reinforced like you know if I'm gonna let negativity in then that's just gonna take over and just being relentlessly positive is the best thing that I could be and that's gonna lead to more success than like dwelling you know why dwell on the things that I can't change when I can instead focus on the things that bring me success and build me up. And, um, and so that was the, I think the biggest takeaway was just to believe in myself and um, to know that I can do hard and tough things.
0: I love that you brought up the relentlessly positive because I saw that in one of the articles and it was just so perfect. And I was really excited to talk to you about it. Um, now, being relentlessly positive is, you know, not the hardest thing in the world when things are going well. Yeah. Right. It's when things aren't going well is why it's you know, harder to do, but even more important to do. So how are you able to maintain that mindset when things aren't going well? And you know, the goals that you've set up, you know, you see them kind of like fading before your eyes. How are you able to capture that and personify that?
1: Yeah. So I think one of the things, so how this all came up is in the, I might have said it in the article, I actually haven't read it yet. Um, Is I was at this job interview and they said, they were like, okay, if you could, you know, come up with a motto for yourself, what would your motto be? And it didn't even like take me that long. And I was like, oh, relentlessly positive. Like that's an outlook that I've always had. So I've always, I kind of see for better or worse the world through like very rose tinted glasses and um, tend to be, with grandmas as an exception, a very positive person and like see the good in things more often than i see anything else and i think like like you were asking when things start to get tough it's like generally easy for me to see the beneficial things that are coming so um like in just like in training i have have i've had you know everyone has bad runs um misses a long run here or there something happens but just like instead of like falling on that then just like looking at like you know well at least i did this or i have this to to rest my head on at night. And um, so instead of like letting any of those negative aspects creep into my mind, just like always thinking about like, okay, this is what's good or, you know, okay, this is what happened. Here's how I can change it and focus on um, things that I can change instead of focusing on like being paralyzed by these things I didn't do.
0: That's really well said. I, I really appreciate you saying that. Okay. So leading into CIM, you mentioned before that your buildup to grandma's might've been the best that you've done for a marathon. Um, but not just comparatively speaking, what was your CIM buildup like, and did it go relatively according to plan?
1: Yeah, it actually went really well. Um, so I just say that I think that grandma's was better cause it was a, like a lot of marathon specific stuff, but I think in some ways CIM, your know, CIM was still a great buildup. I did a lot more track stuff. So I was doing a lot of speedy work, um, in addition to my like longer tempos that I was doing, I also did a lot of workouts in my long runs, which is something that I've really liked to do. And I've kind of done it um, consistently when, when I was running grandma's my Thursday. So my like longer tempos were so intense that my long runs were just for the most part, easy or steady long runs. Um, With CIM, my long tempos weren't as intense or as long. And so I could still, my body was still able to then, Incorporate a long run into my, or like some sort of a workout into my long run, which is something that I mentally and physically really enjoy doing. So um, that was helpful. But then also, I think incorporating speed work, so forcing my body to really change gears quite often from, you know, doing at one point I was running like 100, 200, 300s on like um, repeats on the track. And um, then later in the week, doing like a 45 minute tempo. So, like, really changing. There's a big difference between running a 100 meter repeat and running a 45 minute tempo. So I think that was good that my body was just constantly changing gears and switching and forcing itself to develop different types of fitness.
0: Yeah. That's really running the full gamut of workout. sessions, right there. <laughs> yeah. Now when you're doing like 100 repeats, like what, what does that look like from a pace and like in between uh, rep, like rest perspective? Yeah.
1: So, um, it is as fast as I can run, which is not very fast. I actually think that I had at one point. You <laughs> just ran a 245
0: marathon. You are really fast. Well, Knock it off.
1: Comparative to a sprinter is what I'm comparing myself to here. As a sprinter, I am probably the worst. Uh, um, so I actually, so to highlight this in, I remember one of these workouts that I did, I had a 300 where my 300 split my hundred meter and my 300 meter split was faster than my just 100 meter split. Um, so it takes me a little bit to warm up, but, um, so I think for, I was doing, I think my, I set my PR in the four, 200, I think I ran like a 34.4 second 200, which I was like, no way. Was so fast.
0: that's the, that was your that's PR? My
1: PR in the 200. It's like the most, Fantastic thing, I think I can ever do because that is like the top of my top speed. Um, so,
0: so you can maintain your top speed. Moral of the story: you can maintain your top speed for an obscenely long time.
1: Perhaps, yeah, yeah, which is, goes speaks to how I should be a marathoner and not a hundred meter runner.
0: There you yeah. go. There you go. Okay, so going into so going into race day, mm-hmm. I guess no, I shouldn't say that first. All right, so. The week leading into CIM, we just discussed how your week leading into grandma's was not ideal. Mm -hmm. How was your week leading into CIM? Oh,
1: it was so much better. So it was so great. I uh, like mentality wise was great. I really wanted to look at this as a vacation too. So my boyfriend came with me from Boston and my dad flew from Nebraska to CIM um, and so I really wanted when at grandma's, it really wasn't a vacation for anyone. It was all about running the race. Also, the weather wasn't that great when we were there. It rained a lot. Um, so at CIM, I really wanted it to be a vacation for everyone. So I wanted to do stuff that my boyfriend wanted to do and stuff that my dad wanted to do and stuff that I wanted to do. Um, so it wasn't just, which made it really great. Like the day before the race, we went on um, like a big road trip. We went, we tried to make it to Squaw Valley and we went um, and kind of drove around different sightseeings in in like in and around Sacramento um so that took a lot of like I didn't even really think about the marathon all that much because we were just like having fun like exploring and um seeing different stuff and then um like the night before like you know wasn't all that nervous like a couple people called and like wanted to wish luck which I actually didn't even um I kind of just wanted to not even like focus on the marathon at that point like the couple days before I just wanted to, to enjoy it and think of it more as a vacation and then let the marathon happen on Sunday so that i wasn't like stressed or nervous about it but like all right so
0: what was so what was the race plan
1: yeah so my race plan was i just wanted to really go out and run my own race i didn't want to get i didn't like if i was running with the pace group that was great but i didn't want to be afraid to fall back of them or speed up ahead of them just to run um you know however however fast or slow my legs wanted to run in that in that moment so the the plan was um I wanted to get to mile 20 as quickly, but easily as I could. And so then at that point I could really hammer it home and have a good finish, which is what I did in Houston. That was my race plan when I ran the Houston marathon, my first one, and it went fantastically well. So that was what I was hoping for again, So sort to of to feel relaxed and confident up to 20 and then, you know, really push it home after 20.
0: Yeah. So you, um, I guess, first of all, I was looking at your splits from CIM and like your first 35 K was like, talk you talked earlier about, you love being a metronome and from the five K split perspective, it seemed like you were hitting it like right on the dot. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was feeling fantastic. Um, the first like long for a while into the race, like really didn't feel the first take up until like mile 13, which was like very fleeting. And then again at 17, which again was fleeting and then like didn't start to feel like troublesome until 20. But yeah, like pretty, was feeling pretty smooth and like taking off the miles pretty consistently.
0: And I saw a video of the, um, basically the 245 or so pace group. And I think this is like such a unique thing. It's why CIM is such a favorite for so many people is that, first of all, it was huge. Yes. <laughs> you know, what I mean, compared to how many people are actually capable of running that speed which obviously is a very small percentage of the running population. But yet that group was enormous. It wasn't like six people. It felt (laughs) like, you know, that times 10.
1: Yeah, it was huge. It was cool. It was cool to have like be around so many women. Usually in races, it's mostly men that are around me. So it was like phenomenal to have so many women.
0: Yeah, Crystal was talking about how for her, it was great because she just completely zoned out. And just like, just ran with the crowd and was able to just like not have to like expend any mental energy during the race, Mm -hmm. which came back to hurt her because like you, she had some significant nutrition issues. Mm -hmm. So I know you talked a little bit about that from an electrolyte perspective. What was your issue from a, just, you know, in terms of nutrition consumption during that race compared to other races?
1: Yep. So I think. Um, so what I've done in the past and what's always worked for me is, so I take a gel um, like 10, 15 minutes before the race. And then I take one about every five miles. And then depending on the race conditions, so CIM was like pretty much perfect. So I wouldn't need to take as much water, but I've always supplemented um, my energy gels that I take with Gatorade on race course. So that's giving me calories, electrolytes, and also just hydration Um, this race CIM had noon which is actually something that I enjoy as a recovery drink but I've never used it during a race I think I took I must have at some point I don't remember it but I must have at one point taken a glass of noon um, and I remember it being like early on in the race and I remember it being like very watered down and just like not um, I had no motivation to drink it at all so I instead of taking like an electrolyte supplement I just had the water, the entire race. So I had the water and then I had my gels that I had with me that have, you know, sodium and potassium and magnesium, but, um, not enough for me. Cause I'm a pretty heavy, like I'm a pretty, I run really warm. Um, and so I sweat out a lot of, a, a lot of electrolytes. And, um, so that, I think I really pinpoint that as being my issue, just not having enough of those electrolytes to keep my, you know, my muscles and my nervous system, all functioning at the level that they needed to be for me to continue to run what i was doing
0: yeah and i think it serves as a great reminder to people running at any level that like dialing in your nutrition and being able to execute is important for runners of all ability mm-hmm. That is it's just a common theme no matter what goals you're trying to achieve yep that's for sure okay so when things started to go poorly for you what were the signs like what exactly didn't start working great yeah so
1: at first a so mile 20 like it at first it was just a slight slowdown I was you know the same effort putting the same effort into um, how I was running but seeing my time slow down so I was going from about like a 612 I think pace to like a 618 um, mile 20. And then, like, from 20, 21, 22, just, like, slowing down about 10 seconds per mile. So that was when – but, again, putting in the same effort. So my effort didn't change. My pace did. Um, So that's when I could kind of start thinking, like, okay, um, like, you know, it's going to get hard here. But I still at that point thought that it was okay. And then it wasn't until I hit, like, mile – I vividly remember, like, crossing the – seeing mile 23 and, like, looking at my watch and thinking, like, okay, you got a little over a 5K – this is how fast you're going to have to run. So at, it was at mile 23 that I started calculating the, okay, this is what you're going to have to do where before it wasn't like, I wasn't thinking about what I needed to run. It was just, I need to run. I need to just, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be good. And then at mile 23, it was like, okay, this is, this is when I started calculating. And I remember um, like 23, 24 were ex- like getting to the point where it was like, Getting very, very hard. And I remember. So, my last name is Sutter. Um, Sacramento Sutter is a big name because of the gold rush. And there's a, you go through this place, it's called Sutter District. And I remember thinking, like, oh my, like, Haley, you're in your district. You're in Sutter's district. You can't let your race fall apart. And so, like, that was like right around like 23 or 24. And so, like, that was like trying to motivate me. And then getting to mile 25 is when, like, it really was like hitting me that this, I might not even finish the race. At that point, my legs were just like, you know, couldn't even like feel them had no muscle left completely wobbly and it was just like one step at a time just trying to get to the finish that i didn't know was going to come or not
0: so around say mile 22 23 when it was the effort was the same but the pace started to decrease a little (laughs) bit were you like were you like just staring at your watch noticing it um like how were you aware of it if it felt like the same level of effort was going in like did you feel like you weren't getting the same like um, say turnover or leg extension or anything like that. Um,
1: I think part of it was just noticing that that's when people started to pass me, like up until that point in the race, I was either staying even with people or passing them. Uh, so that's when a couple people started to go past me and then also just looking, my watch would beep at the miles. Um, so I could look to just, you know, take a quick check of what that mile was. And that's when I like saw for the first time that it was the six eighteen. um, and so the, those were really just the two signs, like noticing that people were starting to catch up or pull away from me. And then, um, just looking at my watch and seeing that the pace had dipped at that point.
0: So when you got to mile 25 and your legs felt like, Oh goodness, like I might not even forget my goal. I might not even finish what, what exactly were you feeling in your legs and what muscles were being problematic? Yeah.
1: So it was pretty much my quads and my hamstrings, my calves. I don't remember bothering me at all. Um, mostly my, I would say like almost entirely my quads, a little bit my hamstrings, Um, but it just, they felt so weak. Like I, the only, I can't even describe it, but for people who watch the Olympic trials, if they remember what Shalane looked like finishing, like that's how I felt. Like I can, like, I feel like I understand what she was feeling at that moment. Just like absolutely nothing left in your body and only willpower. Like your muscles aren't moving you at that point. It's like only your mind and your willpower.
0: Right. Which is obviously a very, valuable force but needs to work in concert with some sort of muscle (laughs) um all right so the finishing stretch at cim i mean they just do such a great job it's been well chronicled you take a left you turn the corner there i've seen i've seen the video a lot of people who are are listening to this have seen the video you you can hear the announcer say you have 30 seconds left Mm -hmm. at that point what is like, what is your mind telling you? And what is your body telling you when you hear that and you see the time and then it's you and all these other women are doing just this mad dash to the finish line?
1: Yeah, so the, the only thought that was in my mind was you didn't get this far not to make it. You didn't come this close to not make it. So it was just um, the thing that you actually don't, you can't see in the video that um, you wouldn't know. But there was, as I'm turning that corner, there was actually another girl who fell and she actually crawled the entire straightaway. Um, it took her two minutes to crawl the finish, but there was a girl as I'm turning that fell right in front of me. So I kind of went around her and, um, you know, I feel so bad for her because she, you know, I crawled across the finish, but she crawled a hundred meters across the finish. Um, but so just thinking to myself, like, you know, you didn't come this far not to make it. So just trying to sprint as fast as I can. And I could definitely feel like, you know, it was like I don't, you know, I don't know if my legs are going to make it. And I could feel myself like getting very wobbly and I'm very unsteady. You could see I'm kind of like swerving in the video too. And, um, and like, I don't really like that, the fall It just like happened so fast that I don't like, it's not like it didn't go in slow motion or anything just kind of, um, and I don't remember thinking, I think, you know, my only thought going through my head was like, just get to the finish, like just get there. And, um, I'm glad that I didn't take an extra second to, to <laughs> get to my knees, uh, once I fell because I I didn't have a second to waste.
0: And were you conscious of that fact, or did it all just happen really quickly?
1: Very quickly, honestly. In terms, in
0: terms of in terms of the crawling perspective.
1: Yeah, yeah, all happened pretty quick. I actually thought in my mind I thought it was like a very graceful fall, and that I like like fell and immediately was like like crawling to the finish and like rewatching the video was like a cruel reminder that i'm not as graceful as i think that i am because um, it was not the prettiest of a fall and i kind of had a like a, a moment of hesitation before i started um the crawl to the, the fall and crawl to the finish but um so yeah
0: and there you are then you then you cross the finish line a second or two later when did you know that it was 245 245- Oh, oh, exactly. Were you immediately made aware of that fact?
1: No, it wasn't until a long time after, actually. So I, um, there's two, after I got across the finish, two medics came up um, and got me to my feet and kind of walked around with me. And They walked around with me for um, at least 10 minutes, because I didn't, I wasn't able to stop my watch, so the only way that I know this is that once they released me, I could actually stop my watch. Um, And so they were walking me around for a while, and um, I finally I found, after a little bit, found my dad and my boyfriend, and so um as soon as like they were confident they actually tried to let me go once I was like oh I see my my dad and boyfriend and the medic was like oh okay like if you're feeling okay then you can go and so I started to walk and I like stumbled and she's like oh you're not ready to go yet so we walked around for like another five minutes um and so then I I met up with my boyfriend and my dad got a have got a medal got my picture taken because I'd like come to and it wasn't until we were walking away from the venue that we started that my boyfriend actually started to get text messages from people saying like oh my gosh I can't believe Haley did it she got it by one second and people were sending screenshots to him of um, the like unofficial time on their phones so that was the first instant like I had no idea if I made it or not I didn't even know what my initially I had no idea what my finishing time was Um, so it wasn't probably till like 15 minutes after that I even had an idea that my chip time was the two forty five OL.
0: So in the last two or three miles, what what sort of relentlessly positive mindset did you bring to that experience and what did you say take from grandmas that you were able to use in those moments yeah so
1: my mantra start like even from mile two because at mile two at cim i i really thought that i was gonna have it by quite a bit um my mantra the whole time was you're gonna get there you just have to do it so you're gonna get there as in um, the OTQ, or you're gonna do it. You just have to get there. So I was gonna get it. I was gonna get the OTQ, and I just had to get to the finish line. Um, and so those last couple miles, when it was like getting really tough, I just kept telling myself like, you have to get there. You just have to get there. Um, like, t- like continually telling myself like, just get to the finish line. Just get to the finish line. And, like at that point, I wasn't even thinking about the OT. Like I was, I was, you know, calculating the times. But it was, you know, just getting to the finish line. If if I was gonna miss it, then at least get, because it was gonna be a huge PR no matter what. If I missed the OTQ it was, I was still on track for a huge PR regardless of what, what the official time was. So it was like, just get, just get there, just get there.
0: And that was enough. That was enough to like kind of like allow you to keep battling through what was obvious, you know, significant discomfort and pain.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was still obviously hopeful that I was within reach of the O2Q and I thought, um, once I hit my, like the last mile was when I was not that confident that I was going to get it. But, um, at minimum, I knew that I was going to get a PR.
0: That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk about all of this. I really appreciate it. It's it's such an emotional thing to watch that finish. I can only imagine what it was like for you to experience it. And hopefully we got a good look into it uh, during the course of this conversation. I have a set of questions I normally do at the end of every episode. I'm going to change them for this episode because knowing that you're a huge Harry Potter fan, <laughs> as am I, I'm going to like take a, a sharp detour into Harry Potter world. So first of all, if you were at Hogwarts, what house would you be in?
1: Oh, I asked my, I would think I would be a Hufflepuff. And why is that? Um, I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I actually, so this is my first time reading since I was like 12 years old. So I think, um, oh. yeah. So, um, I am actually not that big of a fan as you think I am, but I'm rereading them. So I can't remember why I was Hufflepuff, but I remember reading it and being like, Oh yeah, I'd be Hufflepuff.
0: Got it. See, Hufflepuff I think is like friendship and community are the two things that um, underline that house. From what I now now my geekdom is now coming out in full force. <laughs> um, which 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 you know, I think serves to this podcast. You talked about community so darn much. So there you go. All right. So which, um, I know you're you're in the middle of uh, number four right now, but which book is your favorite?
1: I really liked book one. I thought it was good. I think from everything I've heard, book four is the best, but I'm only halfway through. So uh, but you have to give credit to what started the whole thing. If book, book one would have sucked, there would have been no book two or three or four. So um, I thought book one, they set up the intrigue pretty
0: well. There you go. Now, did you, have you watched the movies?
1: Um, when they came out, like the first couple. I haven't watched them all.
0: Okay. So, which movie did you like oh, the most? I don't
1: remember them. I was, that was so long ago. I don't, yeah. There you
0: go. All right. So, 2019. It's around the corner. Obviously, it's hard to predict the whole thing, but do you have anything particularly in mind um, from a racing perspective that you want to go after?
1: Yes. I, so, Um, I have only contemplated things if my petition is accepted. So if it's accepted, I really want to run my hometown marathon. I've ran the Lincoln half marathon every year since I've graduated college. I think it would be fun to run the full marathon. A Lincoln girl hasn't won it in a number of years. So it'd be fun to try and chase the wind there. Um, And then, in the fall, I would, I've been thinking about um, from the runner's world article, someone from the Milwaukee lakefront marathon kind of co- put a comment on there like, Oh, you would sh- be great to come and run this race. Um, and my dad's birthday would be a week later. So my dad's birthday is in mid October. The race would be early October. And my dad is a huge Harley Davidson fan. He's had them since he was like able to drive since he was 18 in um, the, Harley Davidson museum is in Milwaukee. So it would be like, great. I could go there, run a marathon, hopefully have a fast time. Um, you know, I'll compete for the win. And then my dad could have this, you know, birthday present from me. Cause he follows me to my marathons. He's the only person who's been to all of my marathons is my dad. Um, so then we could hang out and go through the Harley museum as a birthday present to him. So that is my, if my OTQ is accepted, um, I'm going to do Lincoln full marathon and almost certainly the Milwaukee lakefront marathon, if it's not, then I've contemplated potentially doing a Chicago marathon um, kind of chasing after some of those other historically fast marathons.
0: And by doing a mid-October marathon, it gives you plenty of, uh, plenty of runway yep. to, to, to go into uh, the Olympic Trials. Exactly.
1: Yep. Plenty of time to recover, recoup, get back at it.
0: Haley, this has been so enjoyable. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really
1: appreciate yeah, thanks it. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, Haley, for coming on the show. This was so much fun, really enjoyable, and so interesting to hear. Also, big shout-out to McCurdy Trained. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that we've had a lot of McCurdy Trained athletes. You know from the Coach's Corner segments, my coach is James McCurdy, who runs McCurdy Trained. He's fantastic. I can't recommend him or his service highly enough. So they cap their people that they work with. This is important. So if you want to work with McCurdy Trained, Get in touch with them, ASAP, because that's part of their thing. As you heard in the intro, it's all about relationships. And if you have too many athletes, you can't form and maintain those relationships as well as you may want to from a coach's perspective. So this is why they cap the number. So get in touch with them, ASAP, com. Thanks again to Make it Coffee. And thank you, the listener, for continuing to rate, review, and share the podcast. I really appreciate it. I can't say that enough. So thanks again and happy running.